If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 163 of Confessions of a Marketer, progressive web apps. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. David Etheridge is in to discuss progressive web apps, technology, generating prospects, and lots more. We'll get to that in a moment. Up next time, Nicholas Vandenberg will be in to discuss B2B SaaS products. And the final Confessions of a Marketer will feature Keith Cartwright on starting his new agency, Cartwright, which he started with the backing of WPP amid COVID-19 and the racial tensions. We'll discuss all of that, plus creative audacity and his side hustle, Saturday Morning, a nonprofit that aims to bring awareness to and shift perceptions of racial bias and injustice. Looking forward to that discussion, so stay tuned. Yes, this show, Confessions of a Marketer, will go on hiatus so I can pursue some other ideas in the podcasting area. The ideas are coming together, and I may be ready next time to discuss the plans. I'm thinking of something a bit broader in scope than Confessions of a Marketer, but we'll still cover and follow marketing closely. I hope. More to come on that. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Okay, David Etheridge is here. He's CEO and co-founder at SavvyCard, which he describes as a mobile engagement SaaS platform that creates customized web applications to make it easy for businesses to create connections, build relationships, and drive transactions with their customers through the mobile web. Think real estate agents and the like. David has an interesting background. He worked in renewable energy in the wind sector, tried to make it as an actor in Los Angeles, and worked as a game developer. A couple of decades ago, he got bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. Now he's running Savvy Card. I'll let him tell that story. Let's get to it. David, it's great to have you on Confessions of a Marketer. Welcome. Uh, Thanks, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Can you share your background and tell me about Savvy Card? Yeah, well, my background is I'm sort of a journeyman. I've I've uh, lived all over the United States and been in a number of different industry sectors, everything from renewable energy in the wind sector to trying to make it as an actor in Los Angeles to probably where I should have started off in the software development space. Yeah. So I got to work for several years creating computer games, which uh, 
all my uh, friends, kids, and grandkids love to talk to me because they want to become computer game designers when they grow up. But uh, I got to spend about 15 years of my career working with some of the top computer game developers in the industry. And then I guess, I don't know, 20 years ago, I went out on my own and and sort of got bit by the entrepreneurial bug. Sure. And my wife and I moved to Silicon Valley. I started a mobile startup way before it was the right time to do so. And then we ran into the dot-com, the first dot-com crash. And so the last you know 15 to 20 years has been uh, looking for technology, you know, business startup opportunity that, you know, could scale and be and be very successful. And we hopefully have hit on that with Savvy Card. So what led you to create Savvy Card? And tell me about Savvy Card. So Savvy Card is a platform that allows people to create an app for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. An individual application. And the uh, technology we use is a new kind of technology called progressive web applications, which is a fancy way to say it's an app that you access through the web browser like a website. So yeah, you don't yeah. go to the app store to download it. A lot of people you know, realize today that it's hard to get people to download another application on their phone. Gartner actually has a phrase for that called app fatigue. Mm -hmm. And people are just resistant to adding another app to their phone. So this technology, which we're beginning to be, you know, it's, it's being used all over. If you're a sports fan and you ever go to ESPN, then you're using progressive web application technology and you, and you probably don't even know it. Yeah. So we embraced this technology about uh, nine, 10 years ago. It allows us to create apps for individual business people that they can share to uh, anyone by text or email or through social media. And the recipient doesn't have to have an account and they don't have to have a download anything on their device. And it'll work on, you know, any device. It'll work on a laptop, a desktop, a smartphone, you know, any device with a web browser will be able to access it. And so let's talk about progressive web apps. I've done some web development management over the years and built some apps for iPhones and Android. And you end up with kind of split development cycles, right? So if you have a website and you have an app, they're kind of in two different buckets. And does this kind of eliminate that? I would imagine it does. Yeah, it can. We see the same thing. And that is that companies will go and spend money on, you know, an application and, you know, they'll use it to try to engage customers on their smartphone, but they still have to maintain a website. And then the other thing that's interesting is they also have all of these different social media presences that, you know, people are engaging with. So typical company um, that's digitally active is going to have people engaging with their Facebook page, their Instagram page, you know, possibly their LinkedIn page, their website and, you know, their app. And, and so they've basically siloed their audience into all these different buckets. And if you're talking about enterprise organizations, there's a sort of a big new concept. Uh, it's not really new. It's been around for, you know, five to 10 years, but it's a concept called omni-channel, which is yep. how do you get everybody in one place? So like, how do you get, how do you get all of your applications talking to each other? How do you get all of your social media channels talking to each other so that no matter how your customers engage with you, it's all, you know, going to the same back end, right? For small business users, it's cost prohibitive to be able to develop that type of omni-channel infrastructure. And so Savvy Card is sort of a focus on that. Like, how do you provide a business or a, a small business or an individual salesperson with a tool that they can use to engage customers through any channel, through any social media platform, on any device, 
And, and then from that tool, you can link to all the other content that you want to share with them. And that's what Savvy Card is all about. So have we seen kind of peak app? Are the numbers of apps leveling off? Are they falling? Are they still rising? If there's app fatigue, are, are people still rushing to create apps? Yeah, I think we have hit peak app in terms of the number of applications, right? The number of application downloads continues to go up. I mean, there's over 100 billion downloads last year. And a lot of that is sort of a nod to the fact that with globalization, if you've got an app that's a really compelling application, particularly in the game space, which funny enough, a lot of what businesses embrace, they're sort of lagging behind the entertainment space. The entertainment space often figures out what works on platforms, on new platforms first, and then the industry follows that. So particularly with games, you know, if you come up with a really successful game, it's it can get, you know, millions and millions of downloads globally, right? So we're still continuing to see a rise in the number of apps that are being downloaded and the engagement with application. But what's happening is there's a drastic decrease in the number of applications because if you're not in the top 1% or one-tenth of 1% in terms of apps that get effective distribution, the other 99% plus just don't get used. No one uses them. And so they're not cost-effective. You're not getting an effective return on investment on that development and maintenance expenditure. And so companies will build an app and then struggle to get it used and and then give up on it. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine app downloads have gone way up in the last uh, couple of months. We're in the middle of the COVID <laughs> crisis, and uh, I've downloaded a few apps, but you know, I probably had more than an average number on my iPhone to start. But certainly, usage has gone up too. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. You know, we just closed April, and we do reporting on the end of the month on revenue and usage and everything else for Savvy Card. And we saw a 40% increase in usage in April over March. We had our best usage month ever by a wide margin. And it was really interesting because most of the people who use our platform today are real estate agents. We've got nearly 200,000 real estate agents on our platform. And because they were you know, they were at home and they're sitting there and not able to get in the car and drive around and do the things, you know, outdoors that they typically like to do. They were focusing on digital channels, digital mechanisms for reaching customers and staying, you know, in front of them through social media and email. And so we've seen a huge increase in people's engagement with our platform as a function of that. Yeah. So let's uh, turn our focus a little bit and and talk about salespeople. And Obviously, you know, if you're supporting 200,000 real estate agents, those are salespeople. And what is the most fatal mistake a salesperson can make when trying to attract new customers? I, you know, I think, I, I don't know that there's a most. I think there are a bunch of things that people do because it's what we've always done. And I think one of the challenges that I would, that I would certainly face in my career is, constantly evaluating the behavior that sort of seems like it's the behavior we were taught, it's the proper behavior as salespeople, constantly evaluating and reevaluating that in the face of new technology to determine whether or not it's still the best way to behave as a salesperson. And one example of that is business cards. I think that particularly in B2C, 
sales environments where you're talking to people who are consumers who are not necessarily going to be carrying around a business card with them to give you back when you give them yours and who are also going to be a little more standoffish in terms of swapping contact information. You know, there's this behavior that we have where we we feel like when we've handed out a business card that we've accomplished something, right? right? right. Okay. And I had a realtor in Fresno say something to me that was really interesting. And I'd never thought of handing out business cards this way. But he said, you know, when somebody asks me for a business card, I often feel like it's an excuse for the conversation to end, right? It's like they want to go off and have lunch or go have a drink or something. And they want the conversation to be over and they don't want to be impolite. And so asking for a business card is a polite way to sort of end the conversation, to wrap it up. Okay, for crying uh, out loud, just give me your business card so I can get on with my life, right? That's it. That's it. And so (laughs) I think a lot of times, you know, we measure, I was talking to another real estate agent, a broker actually, and he was saying that a lot of his agents sort of measured their activity every month based on how many business cards they handed out. Mm. Okay. And we know from data that, you know, it's something like 2% or less of those business cards are even going to be kept for more than a week. Most of them are going to end up either being thrown away or they're going to go in a drawer in a stack of 100 other cards just like them. And they're they're never really going to be used again. And so I think one of the big mistakes that people make is in this new world of technology, right, there are easy ways to change that interaction, that business card interaction, and to control it, right, to control the interaction to capture contact information, to capture the context of the conversation so that you can proactively follow up with that that person at a later time, and then to use technology to make it easy for the other person to recognize who you are, to remember the conversation, and to make sure that they, you know, that they don't that you minimize the likelihood that they're going to ignore you when you follow up with them, right? That it takes some work, right? That's the other thing about sales is the people who are successful don't have some magic dust, right? They just work hard at it, right? They work hard at building effective processes and then repeating those processes over and over and over again. And so one of the processes that we teach at Savvy Card is, you know, stop handing out business cards, and start asking people if you can text them your contact information. Because the moment that they say yes, you've captured their mobile number, and more importantly, you've been given permission, direct permission, to start a conversation with them by text, which is an order of magnitude more effective at closing sales opportunities than following up by phone call or by email. That's a highly qualified lead, right? I mean, you know, we always argue about what's a qualified lead. Well, geez, if you get someone's text number, that's kind of intimate, isn't it? It's super intimate. And it's sort of funny because you think about handing out business cards, everyone will take your business card. I don't think I've ever said, can I give you my business card? And someone said, no, I don't want it, right? Again, yeah. it's the, <laughs> it's polite, right? You, you don't want to be impolite. But the moment that you ask somebody for their mobile number, there's an internal calculus that goes on there where if they're not interested in having a conversation with you, you've gone over a threshold, right? The threshold is now, well, I'm going to give them my personal phone number. Who knows what list I'm going to end up on? You know, I really don't, I'm not interested in their product, so I don't want them following up with me. So you're going to get a no, maybe, I don't know, 10% of the time or whatever, But that no is as important as a yes, right? Because they disqualified themselves as a lead. And you think about this. If you followed up with all the people that you handed business cards out to, probably 90% plus would not be interested in talking to you. They were just taking the card because that's what we do. 
So if you can disqualify people who are not interested in your business, then you're allowing yourself to focus on the people who do have some level of interest. And so when you combine the fact that you're disqualifying people who are not interested and you're doing a better job of connecting and following up with the people who are interested, it becomes a true force multiplier. Yeah. Let's talk about prospecting. It takes hard work, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, if you're a salesperson, you know, you got to love it, right? It takes yep. hard work, but if you're going to be successful at sales, you have to love the process of building relationships with prospective customers or else why are you doing it? Yeah. So, so do you have any tips on generating prospects? Well, at Savvy Card, one of the things that we both internally teach to our sales team and we teach in our classes when we're teaching on prospecting is I think it's absolutely essential today that you create value at the point of attack, right? So the moment that you're interacting with somebody, you need to be creating some type of value for them, if at all possible. There are some sales situations where you just can't, there's not a way to do it. But, you know, if you can figure out a way to connect with somebody by, you know, through a consultative sales process, you know, a process where you identify their pain points or needs, and then you know your prospective customer well enough that you're prepared with something that is likely to be valuable to them based on, on who your prospect is, then you're, again, probably going to increase your prospect to close rate by, you know, some, some significant percentage by doing that. Yeah. So how does Savvy Card help with that? It's sort of interesting. There's a couple of things you can do with it. The first one is my on my Savvy Card, I've embedded under the About button, which which is a button that allows you to, you know, see a description of me personally and my company. I've embedded video in both of those sections. So in the About Savvy Card section, I have a video that explains Savvy Card for real estate and how the real estate product works. And under the About Me button, I have a TEDx talk that I did for TEDx Tampa Bay on the trust economy. And so. I often start conversations with prospects, you know, just chatting about trust, right, in business. It's a passion of mine. It's a fun topic. I mean, anybody that you're going to try to do business with is probably going to be, they're going to find it compelling if you lead with a conversation about trust. And so if somebody seems to get interested in that, I'll share my savvy card to them and I'll say, hey, on the about button is a TEDx talk that I did on the trust economy that I think might be interesting to you, right? You know, a lot of times people will go and they'll watch that TEDx video and I'm not selling them anything at this point. All I'm doing is developing a relationship and hopefully the information that's in the TEDx video is valuable to them. So I've created some value for them. So if it's a relationship sale where I'm trying to just build a relationship towards a potential future opportunity, that's one of the ways that I'll do it. You know, for realtors, I teach them to link up on their Savvy Card articles that are relevant to their prospective customers. I love to tell this story. I've got a realtor in Tampa who specializes in golf, right? His whole thing is, you know, in meeting golfers and then helping the golfers find the best community to buy a home in based on what golf courses and resources are available to them. And so what he's done is he's gone into a savvy card and linked up articles on the best golf courses in Tampa Bay. He's written a guide on how to play golf for free in the community. What he does is he'll start up a conversation. And the moment that he realizes that this is a prospective customer and that they're interested in golf, he says, let me text my business card to you and show you how you can get access to all these great articles about golfing in Tampa Bay, right? And so he provides value that is relevant to a 
particular segment of the audience that he specializes in. And so he knows if he's going to be meeting somebody and they're a golfer and he sees them as a potential customer, he knows he's got in his pocket value that he can hand to them to you know build that relationship right out of the gate. It's about value, isn't it? I mean, if you're interested in buying something, you will talk to a salesperson and build a relationship. But the salesperson has to be providing you with something valuable, something that you need. Yeah. And I think a lot of times it depends on what you're selling, right? If you're selling a commodity, something that people can get anywhere, then what you're trying to do is elevate yourself above all of the other you know, potential, you know, sources of that commodity in the marketplace. And houses are a commodity, right? It's not like using Realtor A versus Realtor B is going to change the quality of the house, right? Especially, you know, in the online world that we're in now, you know, 25 years ago, maybe uh, finding a realtor was more important because you couldn't find all the houses that were on the market easily. Yeah, that's very true. It's it's another example of how technology has completely changed the landscape because 20 years ago or 25 years ago, a good realtor meant that you were going to have better inventory to look at, that they were going to probably will have scouted better homes and they'd be able to help you find homes that were, you know, that's where the term hidden gem, I think, you know, maybe comes from, right? So today, though, consumers are able to go out and do a bunch of research on their own. And so it's less about, do I have access to information? And it's more about, do I have access to the right information? And so one of the things that realtors do to differentiate themselves is they curate high quality information that they know is accurate or that they know is better than information that might be generally available through Google. And uh, that's a really powerful strategy, right? To say, hey, let me share some information that is going to educate you as a consumer so that you can make the most informed decision, even if you decide not to work with me. Yeah. And not every salesperson naturally falls to that kind of point of view, do they? They're looking for the sale rather than being consultative. Well, and I, again, I think it depends on what you're selling. I mean, yep. if you're if you're selling, you know, auto parts, then, you know, you're probably just uh, people are just buying on price and convenience. But if you're selling enterprise products or services, yeah, I, I don't know, 90% of that might be relationship, right? Mm-hmm. It might be ultimately price is, is important, right? But the relationship is really where people are going to make a decision who they want to buy from. Yeah. And people are people. I, I kind of believe that B2B and B2C are kind of false constructs because, you know, you, you never really sell to a business. You sell to a person, you know, even if it's multiple people, they're all human beings. Absolutely. I think it's sort of funny because I see B2B, B2C through a different lens as well. And my lens is it's defining the buyer persona, right? If you're talking B2C, you've got a buyer who's making a purchase based on their own needs. If you're talking about B2B, you're often, you often have a buyer who's making a purchase based on organizational or operational needs. And so the, it, it changes the way that you go about the sale. But I think you're spot on. You're selling to people. If you don't realize that, I don't think you're ever going to be able to compete with the people effectively with the salespeople that do understand that. Yeah. Well, David, this was really interesting finding out about your product and your approach to technology and how salespeople make their living. It was a really fun discussion. I appreciate you joining me. Well, thank you for the opportunity. You know, if people are interested in learning more about SavvyCard, they can just go to SavvyCard.com. But, you know, at the end of the day, we live in interesting times, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, this <laughs> no is, kidding. I saw a great cartoon the other day and it was a mem, I guess, but it said, 
who is leading technological transformation within your organization? And it had three choices. One, the CEO, two, the CTO, three, coronavirus, yeah, right? Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. and I think I think we're going to see a huge transition in the way that people do business as a as a function of, you know, what's going on with coronavirus today. And it's it'll be interesting to see how things change. It's certainly going to affect the commercial real estate. I don't know whether, you know, you know housing will be affected. I don't think it will be. But in the long term, I would imagine there are some companies that just won't go back to having offices. Yeah, we're seeing that. Well, I'll give you an example. The local real estate association here in Pinellas County, they have 18 employees. And when the stay-at-home order was issued, the CEO had to go out and buy 18 laptops and then get you know somebody to come in and set them all up for remote access, right? And so all of a sudden, this organization, which for 30, 40 years has been firmly anchored at a physical location, is now virtual. And so how does that change, right? Even if things go back to normal, you now have an organization that's set up to provide presentations and training and education through Zoom classes and all kinds of things, which are more convenient for their members. So it's unfortunate that it took something like coronavirus to sort of drive this, but it's very interesting. And I think it'll ultimately be very positive to see how business is going to change and how our lives are going to improve as a function of companies being more comfortable with people being able to work from home. Yeah, it, it does feel like a watershed moment, other than the you know health implications of it, which are just horrific, that society and business specifically is realizing that you don't have to have someone's rear end in a seat in an office to be productive. Well, think about how much time. I mean, obviously, we're never going to be able to go totally remote, right? There are some businesses that just can't do it. But think about how much time we would save and, and all the positive benefits, whether you believe in climate change or not, you know, all of the emissions that are not happening because people are not driving to work back and forth and all of the hours that people are capturing back into their lives to spend with their family or to exercise, you know, all of the people that are cooking and eating healthier at home rather than going to fast food is a function of all of this. And probably the biggest change that my wife and I have seen is we're spending less money. Right. Yeah. We're our lives are higher quality right now for all the reasons that I just said. And we're spending spending significantly less money on a monthly basis. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens as a result of this. Yeah, the forced digital transformation of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said it best there. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, David. This was fun. Really enjoy it. Thank you. All right, next time, Nicholas Vandenberg on B2B SaaS products. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Stay healthy and see you next time.